Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition, taped today on Monday, November 14th, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me in the studio is our Deputy Managing Editor and Healthcare Bureau Chief Michael Douglas, who specifically asked me not to stoke his ego, but I couldn't help myself. Well, Gabby, I appreciate it anyway. I, I, I'm sure that uh, you know it'll be good for everyone. Well, welcome to the show. I'm really thrilled to have you here because, listeners, this is Crossover Week slash Venn Diagram Week slash Cameo Week slash whatever you'd like to call it week. And we're kicking it off. Exactly. And you might be asking yourself, but MD isn't on any shows. And that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> he used to host the healthcare show. And um, at one point, the financial show. And at one point, the financial show. So not only are we having a crossover week, we are also having a throwback week, double whammy. Um, top that, other industry folk guy. Ha <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, And I'm also personally really excited to have healthcare this week. Um, I brought my new medicine mug. If you happen to be watching this on YouTube, you can see that it's incredibly hideous. And it's a it's a very busy mug. It's um it's a lesson in bad graphic design. If you really want to see it, I'll email you a picture at uh, industryfocus at fool.com if you email us there. It's it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, how do healthcare and financials intersect? The obvious answer, if you're Michael and I, <laughs> is healthcare REITs, of course. Um, I just want to take a second to tell our listeners a little bit about REITs because I've been told that I could slow things down to the beginner level a little bit more, and I'm taking that criticism and running with it. Um, a REIT is a real estate investment trust. Uh, REITs are businesses that invest in property, and then they lease out that property to other companies. And there are all types of REITs, healthcare REITs, retail REITs, industrial REITs. Office REITs. Office REITs. It's a REIT for everyone. Um, <laughs> just like Oprah, except with boring financial companies. It's a REIT buffet. It's a REIT, it's a REIT buffet. <laughs> Um, the, that kind where you go to the Chinese the Chinese buffet and it's like tacos and like Mongolian and it's just all kinds of it's not just Chinese that's what REITs are like. Um, so why do we care about REITs? Special rules govern REITs. It turns out yes, they are they are required to pay out ninety percent of their otherwise taxable income uh, to investors as dividends, which you know gets means that these. These uh, companies really usually have pretty darn high dividend yields, especially compared to the S and P 500. Um, and so, for people who like cold hard cash every quarter or every month, um, REITs are kind of a, a nice opportunity. Now, they trade off with that to some extent, usually on, on growth. So, you know, this is not your high flying tiny cat biotech um, healthcare. Sorry, I just can't keep can't can't help myself from making references. You know, that could become like a you know a, a thirty bagger or something like that. Um, this is a slow solid, um, usually, we hope, steadily growing company, but it, it's not going to get you those sort of like amazing gains in a year that you can potentially get elsewhere. Yeah, that being said, REITs do have their risks, just like any other business with higher dividends. Um, they're really exposed to interest rate risk, um, and they also are exposed to real estate uh, instability. Yeah. Um, and also people being stupid in management, but I guess it's a risk for every company. <laughs> yes. Well, and 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 on the interest rate side, I mean, so when you think about it, um, what REITs do is they 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 buy buildings. Um, usually, the equity REITs, which is kind of a subset of which we're talking about today, they they buy buildings and they lease out the space. And um, so when interest rates increase, their cost of capital, the the amount of money that they have to pay to be able to borrow that money, increases. 
Um, and so that then makes uh, additional acquisitions kind of less attractive to them. And if their current debt um, isn't pegged to like a specific number, you know, like uh, on your mortgage, you know, you might have like a a four percent interest rate or something like that. But the, a lot of corporate debt is based where it's like, oh, you know, it's whatever um, benchmark amount plus two percent. Um, so if that benchmark shoots up two percent, well then suddenly your you know previously let's say three percent debt becomes five percent debt, and if you're running at a relatively narrow margin of safety, that can get pretty ugly pretty quickly. Yeah, which is why smart management matters because they do a good job of keeping debt in check, which is the main way that these businesses grow is debt. Um, it's it's rare for a REIT not to grow primarily through debt. Yeah, um, particularly in the early uh, in the early life cycle, a lot of them will go ahead and issue a fair amount of equity as well. Um, but it just really kind of depends on your REIT, and frankly, all of them do it uh, at a different mix. So the the key thing is to kind of look into how they're funding their acquisitions. Absolutely. Um, so, healthcare REITs, why should you be interested? Well, um, <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Gabby. Uh, so, one of the really nice things about healthcare is that it has some serious, enormous demographic tailwinds um, behind it. The big one is, and you know, what stop, is stop me if you've heard this say, one before. What he's trying to say is that people are getting older yeah. in America, and a large segment of the population is aging rapidly. Baby boomers, we're looking at you. Yes, they are rapidly turning 65, and they're going to be doing so at a substantial clip for the next several, several years. And so we've got this big opportunity, basically, as these folks, um, as folks age, and as America in general grays, to these folks tend to spend more on healthcare, um, and so healthcare spending will increase. And therefore, you know, REITs are a nice kind of broad play on that because if if you're um, invested in the right asset class, the the right um, group of uh, group of buildings that'll most benefit from this and type of healthcare, um, then um, they should see really increasing demand and therefore increasing price and therefore lots more money for shareholders. Absolutely. Um, another thing that's really interesting about the healthcare REIT space is how highly fragmented it is. I don't think any one company has more than max like five percent share. It is. It is pretty darn fragmented. Healthcare in general has been pretty fragmented, um, and and what you're seeing is um, in healthcare across the board a lot of uh, growth by acquisition, where folks are uh, buying each other. You see this in hospitals. You see this in pharma companies. You see this in insurance, um, and so uh, long term can expect to probably see a fair amount of this in REITs as well. Yeah, you'll 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 see consolidation. So you'll probably see a few companies on their rise to power. Um, Eventually, but not quite yet. So now is the time to start looking to see who's well positioned in this space. Um, another thing that's really interesting about healthcare REITs is the amount of regulatory risk that they carry. Yeah, uh, well, and that's because healthcare in general <laughs> carries a lot of regulatory risk. Um, so and rightly so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but when you when you think about um, even um, you know on the payer side uh, not on the payer side sorry on the uh, provider side so like a hospital or a uh, skilled nursing facility or seniors housing things like that you know a lot of these um, are you know Medicaid and Medicare get involved and so you've got a lot of stuff kind of riding on how much is reimbursed per day for stays in those settings. Um, of course, on the uh, biotech and pharma side, so if you have a REIT that is investing in um, office space or lab space for like a biotech or a pharma, um, 90% of drugs that enter phase one, uh, which is a, an early stage human trial, um, fail 
to make it to market. Uh, and so, you know, you have this enormous fail rate. You've got companies that are boom and bust. You've got companies that slash their workforce, that reposition things. Um, and so, there is a fair amount of uh, risk related to regulation really throughout the spectrum of healthcare. But interestingly, um, healthcare REIT is healthcare REITs are generally protected from something that um, retail REITs are not, which is that people very rarely can go to the internet and get an MRI from the internet. People actually have to go to a facility to get medical treatment frequently. Um, yeah, and, and in a lot of ways, healthcare spending. I mean, so. <laughs> There is certainly some healthcare spending that is um, elective, right? There are certainly it, elective is even kind of the wrong word, but like you know, if you're having a, a, a hard year, you know, it's possible that you might skip some things, right? But there are some things that really have to happen, um, and particularly for folks with chronic diseases. I mean, dialysis is not optional; it has to happen. Um, you know, and a lot of these other things, you know, checkups. If you go to the ER, like if you're going to the ER, like chances are pretty good it's because you need to go to the ER, um, and so. Um, they they do have a certain sort of demand protection at the bottom end that sort of enables this like bottom table of things that sort of occur. Yeah. So not to sound gleeful about other people's pain and suffering, but it is built in protection to this type of business. Yes. Um, so we have picked out two particular healthcare REITs um, to cover today. They we're going to look at help up. We're going to look at Well Tower. <laughs> well Tower, yes. And HCP. I tried to marry those two, and it did not go well. Um, interestingly, well, see what you did there. Not, well, it did not well go. Tower. No, yeah. no. Anyway, the towering failure. Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> but you did it so well. So. Oh God, we need to stop. Yep. Um, if you were to look at just the most basic metrics of these companies. They look pretty similar. You know, both are running at about a 15 times FFO with around 5% dividend yields, which is coincidentally about two and a half times more than what the S&P 500 has. And you're looking at me because I realize that I have not defined FFO. Yes. Well, why don't I go ahead and define it? Oh, um, so, <laughs> FFO or funds from operations um, is sort of a, it's an alternative way to look at earnings for REITs. Um, so, uh, generally accepted accounting practice gap um, goes for. Um, Earning uh, earnings per share, um, and so uh, the thing with FFO is um, real estate, according to Gap, is depreciating in value. Um, but when you own real estate as an investment, um, and you are figuring out how to sort of like juice more rent out of it each year and things like that, there's a possibility that real estate actually sort of increases in value, um, or at least stays the same. Or you know, there, there are a lot of different ways to think about that. Um, and so what FFO does is it takes earnings earnings. Um, or net income and adds back in depreciation, um, so it removes that as an expense. And there are a few other minor adjustments, but that's kind of the big one. Yeah. Um, so that you are sort of looking at it net of what might be happening to the to the real estate property itself, and just thinking looking at more at the uh, the operating metrics sort of within that investment. Yeah, which honestly makes a ton of sense because yeah. most of the time these properties do go up in value over time. So, um, our oh dear. Okay, so Well Tower, um, they are really into senior care. Mm -hmm, very much so, um, and it's interesting. So I, I talked about the uh, the big tailwind for healthcare broadly, which is aging, um, and of course, you know, moving to senior care, aging population. You know, it, it's not rocket surgery, right? This is this is definitely something <laughs> that looks pretty good, um, and their sort of pro forma expectations for Q4 2016 is that about seventy percent of their um, uh, net operating income is going to be flowing through seniors' housing. About 17% from outpatient medical, about 13% from long-term and post-acute care. But the other point that I think we really need to think about with healthcare is, um, we've had a lot of changes to healthcare over the last um, five, 
six, seven, seven years since the Affordable Care Act passed. And, and of course, there are a lot of questions because of the election about sort of what will happen long term with all this. Um, but uh, one of the key things um, that we also have to think about with healthcare is that um, everyone is looking for ways to save money. Okay, so insurers are looking for ways to make their cost of care lower. Medicare is looking for ways to reduce cost of care. You know, one of the points of the Affordable Care Act, affordable, right, was to sort of figure out how to reduce uh, emergency um, emergency room visits and sort of the, some of this very costly care. So one of the things that Welltower has done is they have shifted their portfolio away from the most expensive healthcare settings. These are things like hospitals, um, and into lower acuity, lower cost settings. Things like, you know. Long-term post-acute, or sorry, uh, at the uh, the seniors' housing, um, and so the idea there is, um, if if you're sort of moving toward what is cheaper healthcare, then long-term you hope um, the regulatory risk will be reduced because everyone will be, you know, the government will be trying to incentivize people to kind of head in that direction as well. So that gives you kind of a twofer: you're both growing because of the senior population, and you're growing because you're figuring out a cheaper way to deliver healthcare. Yeah, and this is really interesting, and I think it's a great model, especially in the states in Canada. Um, I know that HCP is looking to continue to grow. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that senior housing works very differently internationally mm-hmm. than it does here. So if they look to grow in other countries, their business model is going to change. Um, that's mostly because a lot of cultures, um, other cultures, tend to have uh, senior care focused in the family rather than um, facilities. And whatnot. Interestingly, HCP also had a focus in senior care. Yes. Um, well, so HCP is an interesting story because they've just made a big change um, yes. to their to their portfolio. Um, they essentially spun off a uh, significant portion of their portfolio, the the manor care uh, portion. Uh, it like I think it closed October thirty first. So yes. very very recently. So we haven't like in the most recent earnings. It's done, but if you look at their most recent earnings, it's kind of wonky because they have all these write-offs and stuff that they normally wouldn't have in there. So it's kind of a wait and see in terms of like what actually happens with them. But the whole reason for the spinoff is because Manor Care wasn't doing great. Right, Um, and so you know it makes sense when you (laughs) when you have a part of your business that you you don't love so much. You know you you offload it, Um, or in other ways, figure out how to exit it or turn it around. Um, What's interesting about HCP is, um, so they're uh, about 43% senior housing, 22% medical office building, 21% life science. So what that means is um, it's a lesser bet on specifically senior uh, care than than you see with um, Well Tower. Um, The 22% medical office building, a lot of that is hospitals. I tend to be a little bit more skeptical of hospitals as an investment long term um, because, in a lot of cases, they're price takers instead of price makers, and you kind of want to be a price maker when you can. Um, so the idea here is, you know, let's say um, you live in, you know, you're a you're a hospital in X county. Um, insurer comes and says, hey, how much do you charge for a broken arm? And the hospital says, uh, I'm making up this number, a thousand dollars. The insurer says, hey, that's cool. Um, so hospital. B down the street um, charges. We worked out with them 150 bucks, um, and so that's what we're going to pay you. And if you don't like that, you don't have to be in our network. And yeah, which is what makes the hospitals a price taker, as opposed to a price maker. And it's always better to be the maker and not the taker. Yes. Um, so I'm always a little bit skeptical about medical office buildings, just because I think um, if if hospitals are Hospitals are also subject to a great deal of uh, 
regulatory risk because Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements drive so much for a lot of hospitals that mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's always kind of questionable, like how stable is medical office building long term. Um, the other thing is hospitals often have a lot of capital expenditures. I mean, think about it. You know, if you have two hospitals that charge roughly the same amount, and one of them has got the new robotic surgery or the new, you know, insert really cool gizmo, and the other one doesn't, where are you going to go? If they're both in network, you're going to go for the one with the new gizmo. Um, and so I, 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 I'm a little bit skeptical of hospitals as business models, uh, just sort of in terms of their ability to really juice profits long term. And I am therefore a little bit skeptical of you know almost a quarter of HCP's portfolio being in medical office buildings. Right. And then there is about a quarter um, in life sciences, and life sciences is basically research. Yeah. Um, you, you know, which, you're, you're as right. we discussed, it has. Has its ups and downs. It does. Although, you know, fortunately, um, as a point in HCP's favor, most of the res- most of the uh, excuse me uh, companies and research groups um, in their space, you know, these are a lot of big names: Amgen, yeah. uh, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson, um, Duke University. These are household names, and so I, I'm less nervous about it. Um, the nice thing about HCP is, you know, th- this does give you an opportunity to kind of do kind of a broad-based bet on medical innovation um, through their life sciences uh, space. So there's there's some opportunity there, too. Definitely. Um, so one, one thing that you always have to look at when you look at REITs is uh, their leverage. So how much debt do they have uh, versus their assets? Um, again, this is difficult for HCP because pre-spinoff, they had a lot of debt so much that their credit rating dropped. Um, Post-spinoff, they have a very manageable amount of debt. They're at about 45%, which is pretty average for REITs. Yeah, and, and that's where Welltower is, too. Right? I think it's right around 45% as well. Um, yeah, and so one of the things with REITs is, I mean, I tend to I tend historically to be kind of debt averse. You know, I, I, I like my companies with, you know, fortress balance sheets. Um, but with REITs, debt, really a good opportunity for them to juice uh, juice their returns on equity. And Especially so, right now, with interest rates as low as they are. And if they can get fixed rate then which is very unlikely but if they can get fixed rate then it's it's a great business bet for them yeah absolutely um so do you have anything else to say about these two companies well so if you ask me to pick one okay yeah that's exactly where i was going with this i was gonna say (laughs) did i read your mind (laughs) yeah um i think it yes you pick one first and then i will give my bland summation (laughs) so i i I like Welltower better. Um, that probably came through already. Um, <laughs> I, I think so. One of the things a lot of investors uh, want to spread out their bets, and I and I understand that, and I and I get that. But I, I do think that long-term senior care um, looks like a, a pretty obvious winner. And so the fact that Welltower is so much more uh, focused on that is something that I like. So this is one of those things where diversification can become diversification. Um, and I I think yes. Yes, bad puns. What'd you expect? You put me on the show. This is what's going to happen. Um, but, but I, um, I think that um, that seventy percent push into um, senior living is really a- an attractive move, and I think it's a a reasonably bold bet, and I think it's one that could really do well for them long term. Um, I am interested in HCP, <laughs> just because I think it's 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 interesting what what they did with the spinoff. Um, I'm. They're on my watch list. They're mm-hmm. not on my buy list. Well, Tower, I'm just not as interested in. Um, and this one just comes down to me having feelings. Totally. Um, 
But uh, as we've covered over the course of this show, each company has its pros and cons. So watch or buy or sell accordingly. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. And by the way, if you know, folks, this this was you know a 15 minute talk or something like that. Um, if anyone's interested in digging in more, um, certainly. I think we'd be very happy to talk about it. You know, we we both came to the Motley Fool because we invested in our spare time and because we really enjoyed this kind of stuff and sort of had it as a hobby. So um, the fact that we get paid now to do our hobby is really kind of cool. So send us an email at industryfocus at fool com, and we're happy to continue the conversation. If you have questions or thoughts or um, or ideas like, oh, well, have you thought about this or or well, what about this issue? Like, how do you think about that? Like, we'd be happy to answer anything on your mind. Absolutely. Michael has just promised to answer your emails. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I, may no, re- I may regret this. No, it's true. Um, Michael and I both have a, a circuitous route to The Motley Fool. Michael was actually a hospital consultant for a while, so that's how he ended up interested in the healthcare space. Um, and I was getting my master's, in, or I, I got my master's. Yes, finished it. I finished it, and it's in my office somewhere my home office, because I have no office at The Motley Fool, just a desk. We have an open floor plan, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, you know. he hasn't just like put me out in the hallway. <laughs> um, in biological anthropology. And biological anthropology, it's a lot of healthcare-related stuff. You might remember that diabetes episode I did with Christine. Um, diabetes is one of my favorite topics, um, but not one of my favorite diseases. Diseases are bad. <laughs> yes, but if you are interested in, in getting a copy of that uh, that episode, I'm sure we'd be happy to send you the link. Again, email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this short, snappy episode. I know I did. Um, thank you, Austin Morgan. You're a star. Uh, everyone have a great week. Oh, and as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Think critically, folks. Have a great week. Hey, 